Hello and welcome to our podcast, In Diverse Conversations. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as taking away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. Hi, so today I'm joined by Yasmin Sheikh, who is the founder of Diverse Matters, and we'll be discussing disability awareness and employment. Hi, Yasmin, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Dina, pleasure to be here. <laughs> thank you. So, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm the founder of Diverse Matters, which is a training consultancy for organisations to be more confident with diversity issues, but particularly specialising in disability issues in the workplace, both mm-hmm. visible and non-visible disabilities. So there's a lot of awkwardness about language and what events to put on to make sure we have an inclusive workplace environment for people with disabilities and health conditions. So my services offer that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'd like to always start off with asking my guests how they're feeling today and how they would score their mental well-being. So how are you today and where would you put your score? Really made me think, actually, thinking about this. I would say I'm in a good place at the moment. Mm. I would give myself an 8 out of 10 because I slept really well. Yeah. Had a very restful weekend, which is unusual. <laughs> I ate well and I always feel better when I've had good nutrition. Mm. And it's a nice sunny day and I, I, managed, I did a little bit of exercise before I came here. So overall feeling pretty, pretty good, yeah. And we get some time together, which is always Yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So we're going to do a little quick fire round just to warm things up a little bit. Sure. Just tell me which one you feel is a yes for you. So sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Whilst walking or exercising, would it be music or podcasts? Music. Urban or rural? Urban. And lastly, telephone call or text? Text text cool thank you when you saw those questions you'd have to kind of think about which ones you're more drawn to or were you straight away I knew I kind of instinctively knew yeah yeah yeah. so Yasmin could you tell myself and the audience more about what drove you to starting Diverse Matters and a bit more about your personal journey sure so I am a lawyer and in 2008 I had a very life-changing incident I was 29 years old at the time working in the city and very suddenly I had a spinal stroke so no warning no accident I had no idea what had happened I went to bed one day and within a matter of hours I couldn't get out of bed at all my legs just stopped working and obviously it was very shocking incident I'd never heard of this happening before but the consultant said I've had something called a spinal stroke Mm -hmm. and I it was just totally unbelievable to me given my young age and fit and healthy I've never smoked I've been a vegetarian for 20 years I went to the gym probably four or five times a week Mm. really fit never been in hospital never had any health issues so really turned my life and my family and friends lives upside down and I had to take time off work so I took about a year off work for rehabilitation because I had to learn 
how to use the chair. I always thought rehab was about how to walk again, but it was mm. about how to adjust to this new body. Because mm-hmm. it's not just the not walking. When you have a spinal cord injury, your body is different. And it, the physicality had completely changed. And I had to do things in a different way and relearn really how to be in this new body of mine. And then when I kind of got to grips with the physical changes, it's about how do I feel about myself now, the psychological adjustment, how people look at you differently, how I view myself differently. It takes It knocks your confidence completely because you question everything. I went, eventually went back to work to the law firm and ironically, I did personal injury law. I mean, you can't make this up. (laughs) Life's cruel sometimes. And, you know, it was a big city firm, so it was very accessible in terms of lifts and, Mm -hmm. you know, they had equipment that, you know, it was all set up fine. But attitudinally, there were challenges. You know, I had a difficult boss who didn't really get disability or inclusion, Mm -hmm. said some discriminatory things to me. I just felt, I didn't really fit in there and I'd lost a lot of confidence anyway. And what drove me to setting up Diverse Matters is I had a great boss as well. He was the global HR director and he saw I was really interested in diversity and disability inclusion. I began blogging about unconscious bias, about my experiences. He asked me to set up a disability network. I really found this was my passion and I noticed there was a gap. You know, we're talking about LGBT black, Asian, minority, ethnic, inclusion, all brilliant, gender equality. But no one was talking about disability. It Mm. was left off the diversity agenda. And I started to do mini workshops, speaking at conferences, and just started asking questions, really, from other law firms. What is it that you need? What what is the gap? And it it led me to set up my consultancy. So from what was a very personal situation and Mm. and life-changing events Mm. it kind of spread to not just how this affects you but how does it affect a whole community of people that kind of don't have a voice or or, Mm. or weren't being correctly represented would that be yeah I think so I think I think I was in a position where I felt stronger where I thought there's some things that some people don't know what they're doing is discriminatory Mm. or you know, you lose a lot of confidence. But once I started, someone had faith in me and had confidence in my abilities and skills, and that was the global HR director. And because he saw that I had a talent for trying to help bridge that gap between people who are trying to do the right thing or understand this issue better and those who perhaps feel marginalised or don't have a voice, I felt I was able to bridge that gap between those two people, those kind of two communities, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So since your health impairment, Mm. what has been the most significant examples of disability exclusion that you've experienced or witnessed? Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a few that really stick out. As I said, that boss, when I came back to work, Mm. and again, it sounds ridiculous, I don't think he intended to be mean or horrible, but it, it, it shocked me. He said, you know, if I employed everyone with your disability, the business would collapse. Wow. And I've got the same problem with part-time women workers as well. Um, another example I can think of is a lady who qualified somebody I was mentoring as a lawyer. And her she's a wheelchair user and her firm moved offices and um, she couldn't access the building. Now, obviously, that's one person, but still it's like... It, it's so unfair that yeah. she has to lose her job because 
you know, I, I, I wonder if they even had her in mind at all. Yeah, yeah. But really, Dina, for me, I think a lot of people say this who have a disability or health impairment, is that, yes, the big things stick in our minds, you know, blatant discrimination, where you can clearly call it out. But it's the small, everyday things, you know, not being able to go into my favourite restaurant, which I used to go to all the time because it's not accessible. Mm. People treating you completely differently, ignoring you or patronising you. Or people saying a toilet is accessible, but it's full of rubbish because it's used as a broom cupboard. And then, or putting a table in a restaurant next to the disabled toilet, which means people have to get up, interrupt their meal. You just want to get in and be like everybody else. It's mm. those small, everyday things that just make it really tiring and exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel that the solution is quite simple? It, it can or... be. Once you see it, when you're in this world of disability, everything seems simple. But when, you know, when you aren't in that world, you, I mean, if I said to you, does your favourite restaurant have steps? Mm. You have to think about that. Does it have a disabled toilet? You, it's not in your world because it doesn't matter to you. But when you're in that world then it's everything. Access mm. is everything. It's, mm. you know, I'm constantly looking around. So I think it's making people aware, because a lot of it is unintentional, mm -hmm. getting disabled people into restaurants, into organisations to actually educate people, to talk about their lived-in experience. So some of it can be simple once people know, but it's it's the not knowing that's the yeah. problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, with 95% of disabilities being non-visual, how do we create a more inclusive workplace environment that includes everyone, all employees, with mm. any type of disability? Yeah. I think it's about designing spaces which are inclusive as possible. So I know open plan offices are probably not great for people who've got autism. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, offices have got breakout areas. And that's not just, I think if we think of it as, what would be good, not just for people with disabilities, but generally, if you need a quiet space to work, if you're concentrating on something, you would want a breakout area. Mm. If you've got a confidential phone call that's coming in and it's mm. quite sensitive, sometimes, you know, we think, oh, we're just catering for disabled people, but actually it has universal benefits for other people. And, you know, things like technology making it accessible as well. Yeah. So I know a lot of lawyers, for example, instead of reading like 500 page document, they will listen to it. Mm. So it'd be text to speech. Now that could benefit somebody who's blind or visually impaired, but it benefits people who have different learning styles, who absorb mm. information differently. Mm. And also when you're on the go, rather than, you know, you could listen to that in the car yeah. rather than reading it. Yeah. So I think if we think more creatively, how can this benefit a lot of people? Rather it does, than it's for a specific type of person. Yeah. I, whoever this benefits, it benefits. I think so. I think that's... And Apple have learned this as well in terms mm. of how they use technology. You know, dictating a text is brilliant for people who have limited hand function. Mm. But how good is it when you can quickly do that? You know, people find that really beneficial. So I think there's creative ways of looking at this. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, definitely a, a, an example is WhatsApp. So you can type a message, but now I a lot use the voice note fun mm. function because it's just easier. Like yeah. between me and my children, we'll have a whole conversation that probably would have taken 
triple the time this to time out, but we'll just leave a message. And you can ask multiple questions that are, are relevant mm. at that time. And it's yeah. how does technology assist to make your life yeah. easier? More efficient. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One quote I read from yourself is, disability is not the same as inability, mm. which is a really simple se- sentence. Let's explore that a little bit more. Mm. So you're thinking behind that. Yeah, I think when we automatically think of the word disabled or disability, we tend to think of what people can't do because of the word disability, you know, the negative prefix dis. And I'd love to challenge that. You know, there is ability in disability as well. We've got, I think we've got to change the narrative. Mm. Uh, the narrative seems to be pity and what people can't do and helping all the time. And and there may be some of that, you know, people need adjustments and they need different, mm. they have different needs. I'm not saying that isn't the case, but it's about just people requiring different things it doesn't mean that they're incapable of doing things maybe they're better at other skills than you know people who don't have a disability so actually I feel that because of my disability yes I can't walk and there's various physical things I cannot do but it's given me huge empathy it's given Mm. me resilience it's given me an understanding of other people and trying to be as non-judgmental as possible, Mm. listening to people. And I have definitely developed those skills as a result of the journey that I've been on. And I think if we look at more about how we can harness that skill, what people have developed through their, you know, life, I think that would be really beneficial. One of the things that really sticks out about some of the the interviews that I've seen you in, in conferences and articles that I've read is the microaggressions experience such as Mm. the what do you do for work to Mm. do you work yeah now how do how do we tackle that without people feeling like vilified for do you understand do you know something i'm still trying to work that out (laughs) 12 years later it's really hard because a lot of this is unconscious bias but there is a deep grained prejudice where people make a huge assumption Mm -hmm. And it's so hard when you are faced with someone who means well, who asks a so-called, you know, innocuous question like, do you work? Whereas before I was in a wheelchair, it's, you know, what do you do? The Mm. assumption was I just had a job. And because the assumption is, oh, you're disabled. So the presumption is maybe you don't work rather than the other way around. And it's this soft bigotry of low expectation, which is really hard to deal with because I've got an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other thinking... You don't want to have a go at people because that's just one comment. But I hear it so much. Yeah. And it's really tiring. So I have to gently challenge a little bit. Yeah. You know, and sometimes one woman, she said that to me, she said, do you work? And I said, you know, it's so interesting that before I was in a wheelchair, people would just say, what do you do? So it wasn't confrontation. It was just an observation. And she went, do you know, she said, do you know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. And it was a respectful dialogue. Yeah. But you've got to pick your battles because this, you know, you can't fight people all the time. I find it really exhausting. Yeah. I have to always risk assess. Am I going to see this person again? Will it make a difference? Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's the approach. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've tell this story a lot. There was an older man on, on the bus and he was saying, oh, isn't it amazing? You pushed yourself in the bus on your by yourself. You don't need an electric chair. And I was just, I didn't say anything. He went, and now you're going to tell me you don't speak English. Because I'm, I'm mixed race. And I, I thought, what can I do with this? I mean, wow. I didn't want to challenge him because I thought it's one instance. He got off the bus and everyone kind of laughed like, oh, you know, the joke's on him. Yeah. But I, I thought he's well-intentioned. I mean, someone else may 
feel very strongly about that and yeah. want to challenge that. I'm not saying you shouldn't. No. But for me, I had to see kind of the funny side of it. Yeah. Um, and this is a different generation as well. Yeah. And he was delighted that I'd gone out. I'd even brushed my hair. I mean, <laughs> but it, it was really hard sometimes. But you, it's I've got it wrong sometimes where... Yeah. I've probably they've caught me in a in a bad mood or something and I'm only a human being. Yeah. I don't get it right all the time and I don't yeah. think I have to because I'm not perfect. No one claims to well we don't claim we to do, be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we think about 78% of people with a health impairment develop this after the age of 16 and also that 2% of the UK workforce will become will suffer a health impairment in the next year each year we're living longer so the likelihood is that in terms of us living with one health impairment or or more is likely Mm. we're working for longer Mm. how do you think the future looks when we take these considerations Mm. in 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 place I think that disability and impairments and health conditions really need to be looked at it's a fact of life yeah and I think workplaces will have to adjust I mean I read a statistic recently that half of women when they get to the age of 46 will be carers and it usually does fall to women yeah which means there'll have to be some flexibility in 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 the way that they work because they'll have caring responsibilities that we talk about the sandwich generation women who have to care for elderly parents and also for dependents children mm. also we're an aging population we're going to live for longer. We're going to have to work for longer. So therefore, we will probably develop some health impairments of some kind, you know, whether it's hearing loss, visual impairment, people have dyslexia. You know, there's so many disabilities seen in such a narrow frame, sticks and wheelchairs, but <laughs> the Equality Act looks at it in a much more broader sense. Yeah. And even some forms of depression, yeah. mental health conditions yeah. are seen as disabilities under the Equality Act. We're talking about mental health. So, I mean, the first question you asked me is about mental health. That probably wouldn't have happened three, four years ago. Yeah. I would see that as, oh, that's a bit strange. But, you know, it's refreshing, actually, that we're yeah. more open about it. So culture's changing. Conversations are changing. We have to adapt to this because people are more open about their health conditions now, mental health. There's still a stigma. But if we want people to be open and we have to have this conversation then we need to actually address that by giving the adjustments that people need, by allowing them to have a safe space to have that dialogue, by talking about how work can help them, Mm. you know, in terms of agile working or Mm. time off, whatever people need. We have to be ready for that because that's the age we're living in. I think one of the things that when I was looking into disability inclusion is the perception that people have that it is a majority of wheelchair users when mm. actually the representation is like 12%. So it, it's there is a lot more... Oh, wheelchair users are like 1-2%. Oh, really? It's tiny. Yeah. It's absolutely tiny, yeah. So it's, it's, it's people's perceptions mm. to what it actually... Mm. What are the issues? And and like you said, that it's not just about one particular type of mm. health impairment. Yeah, and it does include mental well being as yeah. well. Um, yeah. and I think that the only way that people become educated or understand that is by having uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, I agree. There is a comfort in having uncomfortable conversations mm. because then you are knowledgeable, and knowledge is power, mm. and that means that you can make better decisions mm. that include more people. Yeah. And I think there's something freeing because when you show some kind of vulnerability, I mean, annoyingly, because I'm in a wheelchair and everybody sees that, 
I get all sorts of people telling me their woes and, <laughs> because it's like, like I just want to go home. Yeah, it's, it's quite disarming, but in a way, it's a privilege as well. But in, at the same time, it's yeah. like, oh, you yeah. know, I Not don't really today, want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're in a wheelchair for an hour. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think the more people sort of share their issues, if they're comfortable, then people say, I have that issue because yeah. actually having a disability or a health impairment if it's visible or non-visible, can be such an isolating experience. There's something quite liberating when someone else says, I get that, I've got that too. I've seen this happen before where people suddenly open up and they feel they're not so alone. It's it's quite remarkable, really. And it's such a simple action, isn't it? Just sharing. Yeah. But it's about feeling comfortable to share. Because yeah, and some people don't want to, and you no. don't respect that. Yeah, but there is such a power in... A lot of solutions are, are, are quite simple. Mm. They don't need to be this multi-million pound mm. strategy. Mm. It's just, A, being more open, honest and human. Yeah. And um, empathy, you know? Absolutely. Um, we, it, the, the words that go around in our industry so much, but it's because mm. it is. it can be as simple mm. as that. Mm. Um, so... What's the most important thing that you've learned in your life, Yasmin? I know that's a, that's a, that's a full-on question, well, isn't okay. it? Well, you, you've said the word already. It's actually empathy. Yeah. Is listening to others with a different experience. I think I feel we're in quite a polarised world at the moment. We seem to have very strong opinions about things. And it's interesting. You know, I, I know some people have very strong opinions about trans women or you know, different races, different religions. I mean, when you actually ask them, do you actually know a trans person? (laughs) No. And I just think, why would you have... I mean, you have an opinion, fine. But why don't you listen and talk to that person? Mm. It's usually a very different experience. And just learn a little bit. Be a bit more curious about actually what experiences have they been through? Is it necessarily what you think or is it what you read? Because... I sometimes think it's misrepresented what we read about. It's not really written by minority groups. It's written by people who are in positions of power. And unfortunately, it isn't the minority groups. It's those people who don't have those protected characteristics in the majority. Mm. So I think empathy is has been something I've really learned because I was thrown into a world of disability. I didn't think about disability. I didn't know anything but now that I'm in this world and I've met so many people through it, mm-hmm. I've realised, my God, it's just not what I expected. Um, you know, the good and the bad, all of it. And I think if people can just take a little bit of time to listen, empathise and just learn and understand, it's it, we would go a long way. A long way, yeah. yeah. What book or film would you recommend to people and why? This was so hard because <laughs> I do read a lot. A lot. Uh, Audible, love it. I do like films, but I, I, I'm more of a reader and yeah. a podcast listener and everything. There's so many, but I'll, I'm going to choose a fiction, fictional one. So John Boyne wrote the Hearts of the Hearts of the Invisible Furies, mm-hmm. and it's about a gay man and his experiences throughout his whole life. And it's set in a time where it was illegal, basically, to yeah. be in a relationship with with another man. And it's funny as well. You're laughing out loud. <laughs> it's poignant. It's sad. It's educational. Again, it really opened my eyes as to not just the blatant discrimination, but the really, I could really resonate with it, the subtle, really subtle things that people do or say or yeah. have certain attitudes about. It, it's such a good read. 
It really is. I loved it. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? This is going to be a big big billboard. Okay. (laughs) Well, as I said, as a wheelchair user, you do feel like public property. And Mm -hmm. again, these are well-intentioned remarks or actions. People think they're helping or doing good or feeling they need to save me or something. But sometimes it's so boring (laughs) because it happens so often. So one of them would be, please don't push. Because once every, about once every month, people push without even asking. I think that's just a, an invasion of, of oh, it's, like personal it's space. It's actually really scary because I've nearly fallen out before. And it's the presumption that... Would this be that you're, awful. you're in a public space and they'll just assume that they know where you need to go? Well, it's usually up a, a slight hill. That's right. when it usually happens. And the thing is... You'll get people who ask, but they don't wait for the reply because they yeah. just assume yeah. it's a yeah. But I want to do it myself. I am very capable of asking for help when I need it. Yeah. And I know, again, it does come from a good place, but they forget there's a person in the wheelchair. Mm. There's someone with agency and choice. And my independence is everything to me because mm. I lost the use of my legs, but I'd be damned if I can use my arms. You know, it, as long as I can, I want to do that. Yeah. So that would be, please don't push, because it's dangerous and it's rude, actually. Another would be, again, you don't want to sound so chippy, but it's so tiring. I will ask for help if I need it. Yeah. Because I probably get asked 10 times a day, do you need help? And it's the, it's the way in which it's said sometimes, because sometimes I'm just coming out of a lift. Like, I'm not going up a hill. It's, you think, how do you think I got like, help with what? <laughs> and the other day I was just at a bus stop and um, minding my own business. And it was, you know, my back was turned to this lady. And again, it's so well-intentioned. Yeah. I sound like I'm going off on a rant here, which I probably am. But she said, do you need help? And I thought, oh, with, what, with yeah. yeah. She went, well, I have to, you know, and I don't want it. I don't want to make people feel like they can't say anything. But what I'm saying is, it's just watch, observe, just don't instinctively jump in. Yeah. If someone looks like they're struggling or they're in pain or they look like they need assistance and they're, they're, there's eye contact, use your common sense. Maybe mm. say, you okay? Mm. Quick, you know, that's absolutely fine. But if it's so instinctive that they're not even, they're minding their own business, I, yeah. I, I'll be on my own on my phone. Yeah. Do you need help? What, with Facebook? No, I'm <laughs> yeah. all right, thanks. Yeah. You get a little bit sarcastic sometimes. Yeah, but yeah, but, but I, then think, I think if thinking, something oh, happens a lot, then it can be. Yeah, and it's so hard because people, people think, oh, God, she's a bit bitter. But I'm not. I'm <laughs> no. just, like, bored. Yeah. <laughs> or you just wish I had £10 for every time I was asked that well, question. Well, I'd be and... a very rich woman, yeah. <laughs> so I do understand both sides. I really yeah. do. Yeah. It's just, just take a little bit of time just to see if it's actually not just an instinctive jumping in, saving Mm. someone, because Mm. there are a lot of independent disabled people. Mm. You know what? This is my new normal. I've done it for 12 years. So I just go about my daily business. Yeah. And like you said, you'll ask for help. I will. Yeah. (laughs) You're not shy too. So, yeah. How would your parents describe what you do for a living? So I'm sure when you was a lawyer and that was a a, a clear cut Mm. this description yeah so how is it what would they say now oh once a lawyer always a lawyer I think (laughs) I think I've got so many titles now I mean I'm a lawyer coach trainer public speaker comedian I do a bit of stand-up oh okay stroke sit down comedy (laughs) thought I'd get in there before you do (laughs) um so I think my dad I mean he's Asian and it's 
he's very traditional. I think he would just say a lawyer, actually. Right, because okay. there's this sense of pride mm-hmm. and also I think people just know what that is. Yeah. You know, and I am a lawyer. Yeah. You know, no one can take that. I'm not practising. I'm still doing workshops which include the Equality yeah. Act and discrimination and all of those things. So I'm still using my law. So I think my dad would just say I'm a lawyer to keep it Short and sweet. Yeah. Whereas my mum likes to give a bit more of an elongated answer, <laughs> shall we say. She would say, oh, she does coaching and she does public speaking and she does public speaking training. And she also does... So she would she would say... She's your PR or, woman. She is <laughs> yeah. practically, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, a mix between the two. Yeah. yeah. My dad yeah. would say lawyer. My mum would give a much longer answer. <laughs> Definitely. And finally, what, what's your tip for making the world a better place? Well, I kind of touched on this before. I think spending time with different people that you wouldn't ordinarily mix with, maybe. Maybe at work, going to coffee with someone mm. that is different to you. That Because I do feel that there's a lot of judgment of other people's lives without actually understanding you know, what, what's their lived-in experience or assumptions that are made. Mm. And, you know, if you spend a day with me travelling on the train, people's comments, how I have to navigate in the world, you'll be like, wow, mm. it's an eye-opener. Mm. A lot of my friends were like, my God, I, this is ridiculous. Like, yeah. how is the tube not accessible? Like, most of the tube's not accessible. The lift's out of order again. That guy, he just, like, didn't even talk to you. Mm. These are small things, but... When you just spend time with someone who's different, you that is the best way to learn, I think. Yeah. And asking questions, not in an intrusive way, asking questions. Be curious, but respect people's privacy. Because I get a lot of the time, taxi drivers or other people will say, what happened to you? Within seconds. And it's like, mm, none of your business. I don't really <laughs> want to get into it. And it's a long story. Yeah. And I don't want to exchange that information in a five-minute journey, mm. to be honest. So there's a difference between being intrusive, but it's just being curious and being respectful. But I think if people just take the time to, you know, try and understand other people, different people to yourself, that would be beneficial. Great. Thank you for your time today, Yasmin. It's been absolutely great to have you and really insightful. Thank Thank you. you.